All right, well, it's good to see you tonight. Um, I want to uh, just kind of begin before we pray with just uh, um, kind of an observation from today. I, I spoke over at Esperanza uh, Bible Club today, and it was, uh, so it's the first time I've been, so it was it was a great experience for me. I have preached over at Esperanza with FCA before, but not on this, and the thing that hit me, the thing that amazed me the most was the attentiveness of the of the students. There was not one kid on their phone. There was not one kid goofing off. There was not one kid not listening. It was so attentive that I knew it had to just be the Holy Spirit because, you know, no what no speaker, especially me, is going to have that kind of effect on people, right? Because I know from this crowd I don't have that effect. You're on your phone, you're sleeping, you're chewing gum, you're writing notes, whatever you're doing, right? Um, but it really was. It was. It was. Uh, it was very unique uh, in my mind um, for a crowd like that. This is high school. Yeah, this is high school. Um, so it was neat. Um, it was also neat because Anthony Calicione, if you know him, uh, in our church here, um, he's uh, one of the football coaches over there. In addition to everything else he does, so it was neat to have him at the door you know, shaking hands with all the football players that were coming in. So just to see God doing that. So we had a great day. We had 18 saved today, you know. So, um, you know, amen. I mean, it's just God is just doing a cool thing. And and that's what I really, really like about it. It's just it's something really that God's just doing because it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's really the essence of this book. Um these chapters we're dealing with today is it is really is how do we come to that place and I'm going to pray so this is just kind of the the uh, sermonette all right how's that the sermonette before we teach um, I, I think it's it's really just powerful when we start to to really experience that that breaking of the outer man so that people really just encounter Jesus you know they just encounter Jesus and that becomes so extremely powerful so um, that's kind of where we're going tonight, and we're going to look at uh, Job. So if you want to, if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and find Job, and then that way you're ready to, to go. Uh, Job chapter 1. Um, I led a Marine to Christ one time, and he started, he said, uh, I told him, he said, what should I do? I said, start reading the Bible. And so he said, okay, when I get done with that, what do I do? And, uh, and I said, well, you just, I'll tell you what, you read it, get it all down pat, then come see me, we'll figure it out. Um, so anyway, he called me one day and he goes, Hey, you know, I really want to get involved in the church. So I looked in this, I looked in the index and I found this book called job and I thought it would have like jobs in it. You know, I mean, he was serious. He wasn't joking around. He said he really thought there was going to be jobs in there and there was like no jobs. He said, and this guy really had a bad day. I mean, what is going on with this Bible thing? You know, so it's always, uh, really refreshing to see, uh, how God worked. And that guy was so unique. I, I'd forgot about this side of it until I just started telling it. But let me uh, let me pray, we'll, and I'll get this on tape because this might be fun. Okay, Heavenly Father, we want to pray right now that everything that's in the outer man that's unneeded, unwanted uh, by your hand would just be really pushed out of the way. It would be broken. It would be so we could have a full release of Jesus in our life. God, I know that we all desire that, and, and sometimes we just find ourselves perplexed. How do we pull that off? How do we know if that's really happening? And, and, and maybe, God, our unawareness of it is, um, is in part the first step, that we're just uh, really just kind of 
promoting uh, and releasing uh, the Spirit of God in and through us that the uh, inner man really comes forth and people really encounter that that uh, that Jesus that we uh, we love. And so, God, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time we have to study. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, when I was pastoring in St. Louis, I led this. He was actually a bottler at Budweiser. And he was a Marine. had got been in the Marines for a number of years and then was a bottler for a number of years. His dad was a bottler at Budweiser. So... I met him, and I led him to Christ. In the leading to Christ, it was really interesting. I was in his living room. I still remember it today. In his living room, and, and uh, I said, hey, do you want to receive Christ? He said, I do, but I'm not going to quit drinking beer. And I said, you know, Tom, I didn't come here to talk to you about beer. I came here to talk to you about Jesus. So anyway, as the, as the night went on, he, uh, he proceeded and to you know, pray and receive Christ into his life. And he had to go work late shift that night. And so he said, so he got done praying. I mean, he no longer got done praying. And he said, uh, he said, and I'm going to, I'm going to, to work and drink beer. And I said, that's fine, Tom. I'm not here to talk to you about beer. He just obsessed with beer. He was so worried about this beer thing. So he had been um, a Christian for about two months. And he goes, I think I'm going to quit Budweiser. And I go, why are you going to quit Budweiser? You've got like all this, you know, this time served. And he goes, well, I just don't know if I ought to be working at the brewery. And I said, enough with the beer thing already. Are you kidding me? And I said, let me ask you something, Tom. I mean, how many Christians do you know at Budweiser right now? Yeah, I don't really know. I don't think there's any. I said, okay, why don't I, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commission you today. I'm going to commission you as the apostle to Budweiser. You are now a missionary serving inside the walls of this brewery, and your job is to lead people to Christ, start Bible studies. And he had this shocked look because now he doesn't know what to do with this whole issue. I said, seriously, go do it. So I didn't really know what would happen, okay? So about a week later, he comes up to me. He says, hey, you know, this is really working. And I go, what's really working? He goes, I started a Bible study. I got 15 men in my Bible study, and he said I led two of them to Christ already. Before that was over, he had four Bible studies going on in Budweiser. So I don't know how many people that you know actually have an apostle to the brewery, but I do. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this guy, he the miracles that came out of his life unintended were amazing. He, uh, he went down to get license plates on his car. And when he, you know, you know, get the plates, you don't even look at them. They handed them to him, and he looks down. It was like three letters and then three numbers. And I don't remember what the letters were, but the numbers were 666. So he said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not taking this. So he handed them back. He said, I need some different numbers. And he says, what's wrong? 666. I'm not marking around with the mark of the beast on my car. And, you know, the poor guy behind the counter, she didn't know what was going on. She never even heard of 666. She said, okay. And she just reached down and got another set and pushed them over to him. He opened them up and looked at them, and it was 777. So one of the things he did, he had this dog um, that was a show dog, and he, he would keep him for the guy, and then he'd go show him. This guy had a lot of money, and Tom didn't, and, and, but so he would keep this dog. And so the guy didn't ha- wasn't married, didn't have any children, and his son wanted to go. Uh, he had got accepted in to go to medical school, but he didn't have the money to go to medical school. But he kept this dog, and he said, I'll, you know, whatever I make on this dog, show on this dog, I'll give it to you, and, you know, you can, you know, maybe get scholarships or whatever. So anyway, this guy that owned the dog was not married, didn't have any children, and the dog died. Okay? Now, that sounds like bad news. It was the best news. So not for the dog, 
But what happened was he got a call from an attorney a couple of weeks later. And the attorney said, um, you know, I understand you kept, you know, so-and-so's dog and da-da-da-da, and it's going through this whole thing. That's right, that's right. He says, well, the dog was, was mentioned in the will. He said the guy wanted to make sure that the dog was well taken care of, so you're going to be getting $2,800 a month on, for the dog just to care for the dog, make sure the dog's well taken care of. I mean, I'd go live with Tom for that, right? Um, and so you're going to get $2,800 a month in, as long as the dog lives. Okay, so as it turned out, um, Tom had the money to put his his son through college, through med school. He became an, uh, a naval doctor. Um, but here's the interesting thing. The day that he graduated from St. Louis University, the, the same day, the dog died. And it was always, it was just, it was, he was one of those guys that was just, you know how some people are unintentionally cool? You know, they don't try to be cool. They're just unintentionally cool. He was just like unintentionally attracted to miracles. I mean, just cool things happen, you know, and, and God was just doing some great stuff in his life. Well, let's talk about uh, this, this chapter we have now to, uh, before us in the, in the knee book, chapter 8. What impression do we give? Um, hopefully you had time to read this and think about it, and, and hopefully you had time to reflect on it. What impression do I give? Typically, that's not the question we ask. Typically, we ask that we make the observation of first impression of somebody else. You know, that person was like this, or I didn't like that person, or they came across, uh, a, a, you know, abrasive or proud or whatever they might have come across. And I, and I really love this, uh, just the whole thought, what impression do I give? And then he traces it back to the outer man that the impression that I'm giving may, I may not be intended, but it is a direct result of the outer man not being broken. And that, that the idea of flesh, when you read it about flesh in the Bible, um, there's two kinds. Obviously, there's the physical flesh, but there's also this, this nature that's called the flesh. It's kind of connected with the, the unconverted man, with the natural man. And it's the idea, basically, of getting my, getting, getting my way in my own method that I've used my whole life. And that's why it says, you know, we got to crucify the flesh. And, you know, natural man says, oh, that must mean the physical. No, no, no. There's a spiritual nature that we have that we've, we kind of know how to get stuff done in our fleshly man or our outer man. And we become so accustomed to him or her that it really never pops up on the screen. What is that? What's going on there? What am I really projecting? And I, and I think really until I kind of went back through this again, I really never thought too much about it, um, but I really had to start thinking more and more about it and prayerfully kind of considering that, and I become used to it. Uh, have you ever, um, you ever replaced carpet in a house? Have you ever noticed how the old carpet looked great until you got the new carpet? There, something magical happened. They're taking the old carpet out. They're bringing the new one. You go, why do we wait so long? Look how bad that carpet looks. But we become accustomed to it. We become accustomed to things in our outer man because we don't know really what it is until God takes some of that away and we get to look at it from a set of divine eyes. And we go, oh, that's what I was doing or that's who I am or that's what I'm projecting in my life. Or those moments where you, you, you just feel like the Spirit of God is kind of working through you and moving through you and you sense it. You know something different about you right there. 
you know it's it's a little bit more on the unusual than the than the usual. And you go, I like this expression of God in my life. How do I hold on to that longer? How do I embrace that more? I mean, that that's kind of that idea. I don't want to lose that. Sometimes it you you feel it most um, when you're going through the worst time, and and just there's just a natural crushing of the outer man that you don't intend. It, it wasn't like your will. You said, "Gee, I just wish my outer man was crushed." No circumstances and events in your life created that, and all of a sudden, what the end result was was that that sweet perfume of Jesus that started to just permeate itself out of your own being, and you go, I like this. I've had a lot of people say things like that to me, and I've experienced it too, that, you know, I hated what I was going through, but I loved how I felt in the spiritual realm, not in the physical realm. Physical realm was, was just pure disaster. But in the spiritual realm, I felt something different. I felt connected to God like that. Um, I think in part that's why, you know, suffering is, is such a valuable piece of our life. You know, uh, Paul said if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. That there's something, there's something that's just part of humanity that, that's important to our spiritual life. Um, it says even of Jesus that he, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Interesting, huh? So what I want to do is I want to, I want to take you to this. Uh, if we just look on page 87, and I'm going to read that, then I want to take you to the book of Job. Whether we can do the Lord's work depends not so much on our words or actions. But isn't that kind of what we focus on? I want to get it. I want to say the right thing. I want to do the right thing. But rather on what impression comes forth out of us. Uh, next new paragraph. We often say that we have a good or bad impression of someone. How do we receive such an impression? A little bit further down, a mysterious something expresses itself during his speaking or behavior is what comes out in addition to his words and deeds, which gives us an impression. Okay, let's go to the book of Job. Now, Job is an interesting character in, in Scripture, is he not? He is because he is, he is a byword for suffering. His name literally means the one persecuted. And, you know, if you are a smart and good and expectant mother, you do not name your child Job, right? I mean, I don't know any, there may be some Jobs running around. I don't know any Judases. I mean, they're just some names that are off the table altogether. But we think about Job. When you think about Job, what do you think about him? Okay? Long-suffering. What else do you think about him? Bad luck. Okay, what else? Lost, okay. Huh? Walk with God, okay. What else? Okay, so the, yeah, there was a there was a repayment at the end. There was a restoration at the end. What else? So good communication with God, you know, but a questioning of God, I don't understand. I thought I had it all right. Okay, what else? Anything else? Just shout it out. Faithful, okay. Doubly blessed at the end, which means a lot at the end. Doesn't mean much in the front, right? You know, the front end is the rough, is the part, bad part of this deal. What else? Yeah, his friends were no good, right? Right? Uh, his wife was not helpful. Right, yeah, okay. He, he always, what? Always praise God, okay, yeah, good. Okay, it, 
a righteous man or unrighteous man? How righteous on a scale of one to ten? Tens. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, let's challenge that. And let's challenge everything you've said and let's look at it. And we're not going to look at the entire book of Job. We're just going to look at the first chapter and the last chapter. Because that's really kind of how we measure our life anyway, isn't it? Right? How did I start and how did I finish? Okay, a key. So if we go to the book of Job here, it says there was a man uh, in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect, upright, um, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And I'm reading for King James. The word perfect doesn't mean without sin. Uh, means complete or righteous in some sense, okay? There were born to him uh, seven sons, three daughters. His substance also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, uh, 500 um, she-asses. I love that, King James. And a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. So what do we learn about him? He was the Warren Buffett of his day. He had everything he needed. He had more than he needed. In fact, it said of him he was the greatest man in the East. Now, if you're reading Scripture, one of the things you want to do is you want to slow down and see what it says, right? So I know he's rich, but it it says he was not the richest man or the greatest man in the world. He said he was what? The greatest man in the East. Okay. Now, East in Scripture is always connected with rebellion. So when, when um, Lot separated from Abraham, it says that Lot went east. When the Holy Spirit is moving, he always moves from the east to the west, never to the east. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? The wise man came from the east. Right? So when Abraham and Lot separated... Lot was a man who was in rebellion against God. Abraham said, now you take the choicest land. He said, okay, I'm going east. And he went to a place called Sodom. So Job lived in the east. Job lived in the place that was, let's, let's just say, the place that was most rebellious in that, in that day. But he was the best of the, of the bunch. Does it put a little different perspective on it? Okay, now, now, now watch what happens here because this is really, really an interesting thing. Uh, he had, uh, his sons went and feasted in their houses every uh, one his day, and he sent and called their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of fasting were, were gone that Job sent out and sanctified them. So what he did was he said, you know, I need to set my kids apart for God because I'm not really sure what all they were up to. I think we all kind of have that bent in us, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, it may be that my son sinned and cursed God in their hearts, thus he did continuously. You don't do that continuously unless you know something. It wasn't maybe. They were, they were living a lifestyle that was probably pretty rough. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So, okay, now the scene changes. We change from earthly, let's describe what's going on in the life of Job. Now it goes to a heavenly scene, and now that heavenly scene is in this heavenly places, and Satan comes, and he talks to God. 
He has access to God. Even though he's rebelled against God, fallen from God, he comes to, to God and he says, um, um, here he says, uh, maybe that, uh, let's see, go down, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also. And the Lord said unto Satan, where did you come from? And he said, well, you know, I'm going from to and fro on the earth, walking up and down it. Kind of sounds like 1 Peter 5, 8. Remember what that says? Satan is like a roaring lion. He wanders to and fro, seeking whom he may, may devour. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has you, have you considered my servant Job? You know, it's not good when God brings your name up to Satan. That's my theory, right? Don't drop my name. Drop somebody else. Now, it, it, we don't see the story here, but the idea is that Satan is going back and forth, and he's trying to find someone he can devour, he can test, he can do whatever. He said, have you thought about Job? I've kind of had my eye on Job for a little while, and I was thinking about Job, and what do you think about that? And the Lord said unto him, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and says, does, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, why? Here's the question he's asking us if we make an application. Why do you serve God? Is it like fire insurance, special protection, extra blessings? It kind of goes to the motive of our hearts, doesn't it? Have you, um, and look what it says, verse 10, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and about all that he has on every side? Have you not blessed his hands and his substance have increased? Now, the interesting thing is God did not deny that. God did not deny that there was a hedge of protection about Job. So we kind of know the rest of the story. He says, okay, God says to Satan, okay, you know, you go ahead and do whatever you want to do, but you can't kill him. You know, I don't know. If I'm Job, I'm thinking, kill me, right? I mean, this is like not good stuff going on in my life. So now we, we, we look at this book of Job, and whenever we do that, we always look at it from a perspective of wh- why, is, why is it in Scripture where it is? Why did they stick this book right here where they did? And what does Job mean? What is jo- who is Job? Well, the interesting thing is this book of Job is right before the book of Psalms. Say so. Right? So. So why is the book why is it there? Okay, well let's let's answer that question in just a minute. So Job means one's persecuted. Job is a type, okay, or a picture of a Jew in the tribulation. He is a type or a picture of the Jews during the Great Tribulation period. The Great Tribulation period lasts 42 months, three and a half years. How many chapters in the book of Job? 42. How many days did Job set in silence? Seven days. How many years of of the tribulation will there be? Seven years. When you begin to kind of dig down into Job here, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing because it, it precedes the book of Esther. And the book of Esther is where a Gentile queen sits on the throne. There's going to be a Gentile queen that sits on the throne in eternity. It's called the church. So we begin to look, look at this scripture and we say, okay, this land of us it was connected with Edom. 
Edom is where Petra is. Petra is where the Jews will go to hide from the, from the great tribulation when Jesus says in Matthew 24, flee, flee when these things begin to happen. Now, are we starting to put a little different twist on the book of Job now? Okay, it takes on a whole new meaning when you start to do this. Um, Job's trials caused him to be a byword for trials. He was, you know, in, in, uh, in Job chapter 17 and verse 6, he says there that, um, you know, you have made me a byword for suffering. If somebody wants to tell you how bad they're doing, well, I feel like what? Job. I feel like Job. Israel is a byword for suffering. When we want to identify this genocide that happened, you know, 50 years, 60 years ago, we identify it with the suffering of, of the Jews, right? Okay. Also, the devil is the one who personally takes responsibility to persecute and inflict pain upon Job. It is the devil who personally takes the, the, the responsibility to, to afflict and punish the nation of Israel. So we have some interesting connections there. Okay, so um, let's go to chapter 42, right? The last chapter. Now, on the last chapter, what's always interesting in the last chapter is what precedes the last chapter, right? So Job's got all these buddies, you know, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar, his three friends. How do you like those friends? Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. And so these guys are always coming, they're giving him advice. One guy says, here's the problem, Job. You haven't, you haven't understood the, you know, what's really happened to mankind, and you've neglected really all that God has done. What you have to do is you seek out what our forefathers did. Another guy, Eliphaz, he's kind of the mystic. He says, no, you need a spiritual experience. He said, one time I was praying, I was talking to God, and, the, and a ghost appeared before me, in the back, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And then Zophar, he was kind of the traditionalist. He was a guy that said, no, you need, you, need to, you need to honor tradition and all that kind of stuff. So you got, you got all this advice that's coming. But the real issue that, that comes here is Job is contending with someone in this whole thing. And who's he contending with? Satan. He's contending with Satan. And look what it says here in, uh, in verse 31 of chapter 41. He makes the deep to boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Who is this? Well, let's keep reading. He makes a path to shine after him. What makes a path to shine after you? A star, right? One would think the deep to be hoary. That's the King James word for frozen or white. Upon the earth there is not his equal, who is made without fear. He beholds all the high things. He is the king over all the children of pride. Who is it? Satan. It's Satan, right? Now, so he's, Job's coming to this realization, what, who am I really dealing with here? Am I dealing with God? Job 42, now look at this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you, um, I, that you can do anything and no thought can, is without you or withholding you, okay? So here's what Job says of God. God, I know you know everything. I know you can do everything. I know you know every thought that's going on. Okay, where does that reside in Job? I know, where's that at? In the spirit or in the intellect? In the intellect. 
And what we have to understand here is Job is a great example of someone who had all the right answers but functioned in the outer man. He could tell you everything. He could, even went through the sacrifices because watch what happens here. This is what it, it just, I love these lights going on and on. It's just awesome. Wave of your hand and you turn them on. Uh, who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered and I understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here I beseech you and I will speak. I will demand of you and declare unto me. Now, here, look what Job says. Verse 5 is where it gets interesting. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Here's what he said. I heard with the natural man in the ear about God, but now my spiritual eye sees. I knew about God. I knew how powerful you were. I knew how great you were. I even went through sacrifices. Today at, uh, at Esperanza High School, I, I spoke from a passage in Matthew 7 where it says, you know, many shall say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all this stuff? And he said, depart from me, I did not know you. That's the New Testament equivalent of what's going on here. He said in verse 5, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself. Let's put it in the context of make it a lineup with this book. Now I really see my outer man. I never saw my outer man before. This is not the story of a guy who had it all together, who had a really, really bad week. This is a guy who, who, didn't e who either didn't know God or didn't really know God, who God had to deal with to bring him to a place of deeper understanding. Wherefore I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. And it was so, after the Lord had spoken these things unto Job, then the Lord looked to Eliphaz, and he said, My wrath is kindled against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me that which is right, uh, as has my servant Job. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourself a burnt offering, and my servant Job will pray for you. They were the guys giving the advice. Now Job's going to give some advice. For him I will accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, that you have not spoken of me the things which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz uh, and Bildad, he, Bildad the Shuhite, he was a short man. Did y'all get that? The Shuhite? Okay. I know, some of it takes a little longer to get it. Okay. It's just a short man. And Zophar... Okay, went, went and did according as the Lord commanded, and the Lord accept, also accepted Job. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And what's the next word? What's the next word? What's the next word? It's a four-letter word. When. Circle the word when in your scriptures. The Lord restored the captivity of Job when there was a transition point. Something happened that transformed him from the old Job into the new Job, that, turned, that killed the outer man, that brought forth the inner man in Job's life. It says, when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord, uh, even gave, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. When. When he did that. 
I wonder if there was something in Job before this all happened that he couldn't really release. So here's the question. I wonder if there's something in you or in me that once we release it, we see the restoration that God wants in our life. We see the miracle of God in ways we've never seen before. I just wonder. You know, I mean, that was kind of my question. What, what is it, you know, that, that I need to release? Then, verse 11, then when? Then came after when. Okay? First you get a when, then you get a then. Came unto him and all his brethren and all his sisters and all that had been acquainted before. Three times he uses the word all. When a man's ways are right before God, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him, Scripture says. All that had been his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him, comforted him over all the evil that God had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. It's interesting, that's exactly what he's going to do with Israel. You read the restoration of Israel after the tribulation, the blessing is greater. And then now, look, he's got 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses. There, we got to say it again. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Last verse of the book of Job, so Job died being old um, and full of days. He died well. Then the book of Psalms. Why is the book of Psalms follow the book of Job? Because Psalms makes the most sense during the millennium. You ever read the book of Psalms and you go, this is all really cool stuff, but it seems like it's not really all working for me today. Because it's made for the, it's primarily for the millennium. Not in perfect, not in a perfect place, Millennium's not perfect because Jesus sits on the throne and he rules the nations with a rod of iron. So he's like a benevolent dictator during the thousand-year reign on earth, the millennium. You ever read the Sermon on the Mount and go, this is all really cool, but it doesn't seem like it fits? I mean, the meek shall inherit the earth. Is that happening? I mean, let's be honest. No meek people are inheriting the earth. If they are, the stingy guy next door stole it later. Right, so those are those are the the Sermon on the Mount is a is a is a part of the gospel of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. This is not what Earth is like. This is what the kingdom is it will function like. Okay, Psalms is this is what the kingdom functions like. I mean, even Psalm two tells you. I mean, it says, "Why do the nations rage, and why do they, you know, imagine a vain thing?" Who sits in the, you know, as they say, "Let us let's bond together, let's break his cords asunder," and we're tired of the 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 constraints of God. And God says, um, "And God shall bring them in derision." God shall let's see. How does that go? I'm sorry, I, I messed up the the verse here for you. Let me quote it. Better at it then. The kings of the earth, verse two, take uh, rule. Uh, Rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break the bands asunder, let us cast their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. 
The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon the holy hill in Zion. Jesus was never set in his earthly ministry on the, on the hill on Zion, was he? This is millennial. I will declare the decree of the Lord, and he said unto me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Hear it? Millennial. Thou shalt dash them into pieces and take like a potter's field. Be wise now, O ye kings. Be instructed, you, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That sounds like something that never happened in his earthly ministry, right? Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled um, but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Now, all of a sudden, you look at Job and you look at Psalms totally different. You look at the book of Esther different. God teaches us by taking things that are, that are earthly and he applies them to something that's eternal. So when we look at our outer man like, like uh, Nee talks about, I go, the hindrance to getting all this fulfillment of future stuff can just be something as simple as, wow, I just need to quit being so upset about that. I need to get over being offended. I need to, I need to stop being so proud. I remember I, I had this, I don't know where I got this idea. I thought, I'm going to try to live this year, and it was like years ago, I'm going to be totally unoffended. I'm not going to let anybody offend me. Started in January. You know, like the, you know, the whole New Year's resolution things? I mean, those never work, right? I'm going to be totally unoffended. It took me like seven days to get totally offended. You know, it's just the outer man, outer man flying. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let, let's move along here in this uh, chapter. Let's go to chapter 9, if we can, okay? Um, so he talks in chapter 8, let me just say one thing. He talks about the difference between um, this whole process that either comes by discipline or by revelation. So I can accomplish a lot in my life by kind of really honestly looking at me and, and trying to, through discipline, trying to put the right things in order, and there's a value in that. But the moment that the Holy Spirit shows you something, it's almost instantaneous. You go, wow, I'm that guy? Are you kidding me? I mean, anybody had that experience where you go, I had no idea until I saw it. Have you ever tried, anybody here tried to be the Holy Spirit in anybody's life? Anybody? Just raise your hand. I've been the Holy. I've been tried to be the Holy Spirit, right? And what that means is, I want to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to I'm going to hammer you with guilt until you understand it. And you can tell somebody, you can point something out in somebody's life that's just not right, and you can do it till Jesus comes back and they don't change. Why? It's not revelation. The word has to become revelation to them. They have to see it with their own spiritual eyes. And once they see it, they go, "Oh, that's it. I get it." And all of a sudden, what you tried to do in six years, they did in one minute. But then you have to go back and realize God has to do a different work in you because you've been trying to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. It's not your job. you got a job. Your job is to present Jesus. When you try to be the Holy Spirit, you hinder Jesus. Is that Revelation. 
Okay, let's go into meekness and, and brokenness, okay? And um, I, I just, I read this and I came back with one question. Here's what, I, here's what I wrote. I want you just to write it down. What do you, that is God, want to break in me? What do you want to break in me? And then I want you to write this next thing, okay? Everybody got that one? I don't want to go too fast here. What do you, God, want to break in me? And here's the second question or statement. Until blank is broken, you cannot see blank happen. Until blank, whatever that is, is broken, you cannot see blank happen. Let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 12. It's the only book of math in the Bible, right? Numbers, get it? Yeah, I know it wasn't very good. A little corny, but... This is as good as build at the shoe height. Not really, but there's a lot of things in there in the Bible like that. You like tennis is in the Bible. Anybody ever read tennis? It says David played on Saul's courts. <laughs> Arkansas is in the Bible. It says Noah looked off the Arkansas. <laughs> Motorcycles are in the Bible. It says you could hear the triumph, uh, the roar of uh, of Joshua's triumph throughout the land. Triumph motorcycles? Okay. Anyway. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. <laughs> Numbers chapter 12. See, this is why, this is why you pay the, extra, the big bucks for this. You get, the, you get the good humor here coming out of here, right? You're writing these down. You're thinking, I want to remember that. It's such a good joke, right? Nobody's ever said that about my jokes. Okay. Now, you've got this rebellion going on here with Marion and Aaron. They spoke against Moses, verse 1 because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married the Ethiopian woman. And they said, and look what they said, we don't approve of this. And, and what really came out, it wasn't that. Have you ever, you ever heard this statement? The issue is not the issue. Ever heard that? You know, when somebody's like going off on you, just realize the issue is not the issue. Whatever they're criticizing, whatever they're saying about you, it's probably not what's really going on in their life anyway. Something else. You know, and the best way to respond to that is when they're going off and you like go, hey, I hear that. that. I'm completely right. But tell me, what is going on in you that makes you act like that, say, speak like that, and then you'll really have a fight on your hands. Okay. <laughs> Verse 2. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not also spoken by us? And the Lord, I like this next phrase, and the Lord heard it. In other words, they, what was the real issue in their life? Marion and, and Aaron. Shout it out. What do you think? Jealousy. Okay. What else? Yeah, authority. They didn't like, they did not like him being over them. They thought they were, yeah, they thought, you know, and, and they were equal in terms of people, but they weren't, you know, the, the gift and the placement of God was different in his life, right? And they didn't like that. So who are they really rebelling against? Moses? Who? 
really about God. God, we don't like what you did. And that's why it says, and the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it. Okay, now, verse 3 is where I wanted to get. Now, the man Moses was very meek. Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Did you ever think about Moses being meek? Meek. Meek. Now, meekness is not weakness. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Oh, by the way, before you turn, just right there in the margin of your Bible, put Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. That way you can always kind of find these things. I like to customize my Bible, you know, because, you know, sometimes I, if, I can, if I can get to one place, I can find the rest of it. So I kind of, I say, okay, if I, if I just remember numbers, I can get over to Matthew by getting to numbers. I don't have to remember, I remember numbers and Matthew. Make sense? Then when I get over to Matthew, what do I do? I write numbers in that passage so I can get back. So I, I've got something working in, my, in my, my way there. Okay, so Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Matthew 11 and verse 29. Let's go to 28 because it kind of ties in. Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, if you just read that out loud sometimes, it's just almost refreshing. Man, you're, I'm worn out. I don't know what I'm going to do. My, you know, He said, well, why don't you just come to me? I'm not going to you is what he's saying. You come to me. Sometimes God is said to come to you, but this time he says, no, you come to me. Why does he say that? Because when you finally realize you can't handle the situation, you will come to me. Until you come to me, you're still trying to do it on your own strength. You're still functioning the outer man. So I want you to come to me. Come on to me, and when you come unto me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. I'm talking about the spirit man here. You are worn out in the mind and the will and the emotions. And until you come to me and learn of my yoke. Now, we don't really have yokes other than eggs that we think of today, right? Okay. Or we have bad yolks. I'm full of them tonight, aren't I? Okay. Bad yolks. So anyway. Okay, I have to get my mind back in this now. Okay, so what they would do is that if you've ever seen a yoke, they, they carve these yokes, these wooden things that, that run across the back of, of the animals there. They carve them specifically for that animal. They don't just say, hey, we got a good yoke over here. Go put it on your oxen. It may be the wrong size for those oxen. They also don't put them, there's also even a, a, a law in here where it says don't be unequally yoked. Have you ever heard that from Paul? Okay, what that meant was there was a Levitical law that said you could not plow with an oxen and let's say a donkey. It was forbidden. Because when you did, when they pulled, they pulled unevenly and you would cripple one of the animals. The reason that God says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, in other words, don't marry an unbeliever, is because it will cripple one of you. You can't pull together. You pull unevenly, and it doesn't fit. Or you try to take somebody else's yoke. You take a yoke of bondage upon you. 
Yoke of bondage would be something like, you know, you live your life by religion versus by Jesus. That's a yoke of bondage. You live your, your life by a yoke of doing good works rather than the grace of God. That's a yoke of bondage. So he says, when you come to me, you're gonna, my yoke fits every person. When you pull in life, when you, when you allow your life to be driven by that yoke of Jesus, you will always be productive. You will not be crippled in the process. If you're feeling crippling effects... It is because you're wearing the wrong yoke. You have to stop long enough and say, I need to come to you because right now my life is not working and I'm weary and heavy laden. I'm burdened down. And it says, when you are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He said, you will find rest for your souls, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your outer man is going to understand how to function in your spiritual man. So who was meek? Well, Moses was meek and Jesus was meek. Now, the Greek word is a lot more expressive than the Hebrew word here. The Greek word for meek was actually used to describe a horse where it was under the control of the rider. And its, um, its will was broken, but not its spirit. So in other words, the horse would still run as fast as it always did because it still had its spirit, but it now was under the control of the rider. So here's what it says. When you are meek, you're under the control of God. Your spirit, your, your fire and your desire, as all that stuff is all strong, but, but, but now you're under the control of Jesus. Go to page uh, 99 in your book. 99 in your book. Okay. And it talks here at the bottom about um, true, it's just a whole section on true meekness. What is really uh, true meekness? And it says uh, right before the second new paragraph, the more we are broken by God's dealing, the meeker we become. To see true meekness is to behold inner brokenness. Let it illustrate it this way. After contacting a certain brother, you may sense that he is truly gifted, but you discover he is yet unbroken. Many are like that. They're gifted and not broken. Their unbrokenness and their hard-heartedness can be detected easily. As soon as you meet them, you sense an undertone of inflexibility in them. Last sentence, he has learned to fear God in each prideful area and his life eventually is transformed into meekness. And then it talks about the metaphors of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes to you like fire, sometimes like water, and sometimes like a gentle dove. Last night at men's Bible study, um, someone asked a question and I, I repeated it. Uh, for staff meeting today, I want to repeat it for you because I think it just is a great, great thing to think of. How many of you came to the movie Holy Ghost movie? How many? Okay, about half of you maybe. All right, there's a there's a scene in this movie where um, you know if you've heard of the band Corn, a couple of guys and they are saved and and so these guys are uh, featured in this movie. And you know you kind of you kind of look at them and you think about their past. They're kind of the most unlikely vessels. Right? And I think that's actually why they featured him in there. Because you go, really? These guys? 
So there's a scene in there where they, they come out before a concert, and there's all the, everybody lining up to go into the concert, and they, uh, they say to them, hey, hey, anybody here need to get healed? Anybody here need to get saved? Want to love Jesus? Come on up here. And you, you would expect everybody would go there regardless of what they said because it's corn. But they don't. Only some of them come up. So the one guy that comes up, he has got one leg that's longer than the other, shorter than the other leg. Okay? I guess it's saying the same thing, right? One leg is longer, one leg is shorter. It's the same thing, right? It's the same but different. Um, so they say in Europe, I never knew what that meant. Same but different. What does that mean? I don't know. Um, so anyway, so they're saying to this guy, and he, you know, hey, don't you, you know, you want to, you want to, um, want us to pray and, and your leg to grow. Now, just saying that does something to your head, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's one thing like, okay, something went away, but now something's going to grow. So you're sitting there, and you're watching this video, and this guy's leg grows right before your very eyes. And you go, whoa, I'm pretty sure I saw that leg grow. But that's not possible, is it? So that was the question that came up. Hey, do you think, you know, I'm, I, you know and we, whenever we ask questions, you know, we, we're always trying to hide our real skepticism. When we, stuff like that, you know? Because we don't want to say, hey, it was phony. But we don't want to say it was legit. We just want to know what's going on here. So as we began to talk about it, and uh, I said, well, is it easier to believe that Noah got all the animals in the ark? Is it easier to believe that an axe head floated like it did in the Old Testament? Is it easier to believe Jesus walked on the water? Is it easier to believe that Jesus could take you to heaven and keep you out of hell? Is it, e- you, know, easy, you know, you kind of start process. yeah, I know, but that leg... So as God would have it, it was just really, really fun because a guy, he raises his hand. He says, well, I just got to tell you about this. I went to church and uh, when I was growing up and there was a guy that had polio or whatever and his leg, one leg was short and the other leg and he wore one of those shoes, you know, with, uh, with all the stacks on it, right? And so uh, this guy came in and he was preaching and he said, hey, well, we can take care of that. Let's pray for that leg. And so I'm over there watching this and prays for this guy. And his leg grows to the same length as his other leg. And he said, I was there, I saw it. And he said, when the guy stood up, I asked him afterwards, he said, when the guy stood up, now he needed pads on the other shoe. Because his leg, and I'm, and I'm going, and you can just see this tension in the room, like, you know, like half the people are going, yeah, why not? And the other half are going, are you kidding me? That didn't really happen. And then I made this statement. I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it. I cannot afford to entertain thoughts that diminish my faith. I cannot afford to entertain thoughts that diminish my faith. When my faith is under attack, it's under attack enough. I don't need to help it. And then I said this, faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. If you go to Europe, you need to exchange dollars for euros. And you can walk into some place and say, all I got is dollars, and they'll say, I'm sorry. You need euros. When you want something from God, you can go with intellectualism, you can go with rationalism, you can go with reason, you can go with all those things, and God is going to say the same thing. I'm sorry, the exchange, the currency of heaven is faith. The more that we increase in our ability to rationalize and reason ourselves out of what God can do, the less we see God do in our life. We're going to look at this. It's, this works out really well in, in uh, the Johnson book because uh, he, he's going to talk a little bit about there what Jesus could and couldn't do over there in Mark 6. 
So what we want to do as we think about this, we want to say, how do we, how do we drive ourselves? How do we propel ourselves into this faith life? And I think it is by dealing with everything on the outer man. So with that, shall we take a break? And let me ask you, how many of you are cold in here? Is it cold? A little chilly? Okay, we'll, we'll take care of that, okay, uh, next August. All right, hey, take a break, and uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs>